morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for the music. Thank you so much for being here today. This is a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you so much for coming. Yesterday was really quite special for us as a church. Uh, how many of you um, had the privilege of, of, of being here? How many ladies and also any of the men that, that had the privilege of serving yesterday? How many were here? Um, it's good to see your hands. Thank you for doing that. We, it was just, <laughs> it was such a great, a great time. Um, you know, um, uh, one of the one of the persons in in our congregation um, was out and and had a vision of what God could do in in this um, in this place, and uh, she saw the room full. She saw it full with people. And she had a dream of what uh, our women's uh, luncheon could be like, and it, and, it, and it exploded right before our eyes. It's the very essence of what I want our church to be. It's the very essence of, of, of our family, to have ideas, all of us, not just, not just someone, but all of us dream what God can do in our midst. It was just, a, it was just one of those moments that was like a high-water mark. Bernadette and I were in the back. We were dancing our brains out in the back there because we had a group. <laughs> we had a group from uh, the radi. Uh, they're called the Radiance. They were from uh, Friendship uh, Baptist Church, is it? And um, they were just wonderful. And the, the most wonderful quality of these ladies were they. They just absolutely. It appears every time we've been around them, and I've only been around them once or twice, but uh, other people who've been around them just sense that they just love, love love the Lord. It's their ministry. It's their heartbeat. And so they sang, and, um, and there was some testimonies by, uh, um, by our young people and uh, a little older um, that shared, um, uh, and, and each group did just beautiful. It was just a perfect, one of those perfect times. What was my, one of my favorites, well, I got a chance to Work is an overstatement. Uh, I got a chance to uh, serve, maybe even a little that's over. I got to roam from table to table. <laughs> wasn't it, you know what really panicked me? Well, well, here's what really I thought was the most beautiful thing of it all. Is that all of the ladies of our church, or some of the ladies of our church, took, each one took a table and decorated that table as she saw fit. And they decorated the, the columns, and, and, and uh, Raylene put that, made that by hand and hung that up. And uh, when you walked in and you saw the tables, even though each one was done differently, each one was done separately, they seemed to all blend. It was just absolutely beautiful. It was beyond beautiful. You know, it's kind of like, how the Lord makes uh, the wilderness and, and how he just makes it and it's just beautiful. The colors seem to fit together. That's what happened, uh, in, in my opinion, of these tables. And so it was just, um, it was just a lovely time. And uh, couldn't ask for anything uh, nicer as, as far as I, I could see. And it's, it's just an example of where we're going as a church. You, know? um, you people have, have done so many wonderful things. We've started a deaf ministry. And that ministry is going to, we pray by the grace of God, just explode. Whatever God wants to do with it. But we, we assume that it's going to just grow. 
And we started a, a ministry for senior citizens, for those who, of us who are older. And they've already had their, their first dance. Oh, they're so far ahead of the younger people. They're ready to rock and roll. And, and they had a time together in a study, and, um, and that's taking off. And, of course, our student ministry is just doing so well. Couldn't ask for better people running it. Couldn't ask for nicer young people here. Really have caught the vision of what it means to really be and to love the Lord. It's not just the best pizza in town. It is the best study of the Word of God. And then we have, of course, the men and women's ministries that are going so well. So, you know, I'm just on a little bit of a high, forgive me, but I'm just so excited about what we're doing. And now we come to a place that is fitting, fitting for this time for us as a church. Acts chapter 20. Please, would you turn with me? Have I told you I love you all so much? It is such a privilege. I do. I do with all my heart. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. If I say it all the time, just accept it every time as the first time. It's just I love you so much. It's hard to put into words how much I love each and every single one of you and, and just what you mean uh, to me in my life. It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond wonderful. It's, it's, it's more than I... More than truly more than I deserve, but it's just beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And where we are right now in this particular place fits in with where it, it, what 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 we just seem to be going through as a church, and that is um, the encouragement of one another. How our young people encourage those of us who are older, and hopefully some of us older people encourage those of you who are younger. And where we are in this place in Scripture is, is Paul is on his third missionary journey. And as we've already studied, you can kind of remember with me, Paul says, I want to go back to Jerusalem, remember? But he was in Ephesus, and so he went back to Macedonia and Acacia first, which means, like, let's say Ephesus is here and Jerusalem's there, but Macedonia and Acacia were over here. And so he had to go from here to here to go there. And we realized, we learned why, by cross-referencing scriptures, that he went back to Macedonia and Acacia to, to receive monies from these people to take to the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem was in, was in need. And so he is on his third journey. And as he is going to leave Ephesus, there becomes a, a riot. If you remember, this silversmith, the, the man that was making uh, these shrines that, that were given out as... Uh, uh, kind of a, a shrine to the temple of Artemis. And he goes to all the people who were making these shrines out of silver and whatever materials they were making them out of. And he says, this guy, Paul, who has come to our community, is saying that, that gods made by hands are no gods at all. In other words, he is destroying our business. And remember what he called it in, in, in verse 25 of chapter 19. He said, this is our prosperity. Prosperity. This is where we get our boost, our kick, our whatever it is in life. This is our prosperity. And he's causing it to go away if we're not careful. And so he gathers everybody together. And I didn't tell you as seriously until I didn't realize it until this week how seriously that riot was. It was a real confront against the life of Paul. No wonder, no wonder if you look back at chapter 19, no wonder some of them um, 
In verse 30, Paul wanted to go to the assembly and the disciples wouldn't let him. No wonder. And also some of the uh, Asiarchs who were friends of his sent him and urged him. They repeatedly urged him, don't venture into the theater. Well, no wonder. Because today we're going to see in verse 1 that there was an uproar. And that word in the Greek means that there was... uh, Well, let me see if I can find it. Well, I'll come to it. Let me come to it when I come to it in the notes. But it was just a... It was a... Uh, a, a, a horrendous scene. They wanted to rip Paul from from limb to limb. They wanted to destroy him. And Paul, in this place in Scripture, senses that he is going to leave and senses that he is perhaps leaving behind these young believers, this new church that started, and they are in shock and awe over what has just taken place in the city concerning this newfound faith that they have in Jesus Christ. You see, I I believe with all of my heart, up to this point, none of them had seen persecution before, not concerning their belief. You see, the city of Ephesus had all kinds of different gods, and and nobody troubled anybody who, who believed in whatever god they believed in. It's like, have you ever noticed, if you if you ever see an awards program, and you, and you listen and you watch closely. These are things I listen to when I watch these types of things. I, you hear people often saying, I want to thank God. And everybody goes, oh, yes, very good, very good. You thank God, that a boy, that a girl. But you hear someone say, I want to thank my Lord and my, and you can sense in the room they're going to say, Jesus Christ. And people just want to, oh, you can almost hear a boo. There's that persecution that we get because of what we believe in. The name of Jesus Christ separates us from all people of all religion and all beliefs. Now, I don't believe that we want that. I don't. I I don't want to become confrontive in my belief. And I don't certainly want people to persecute me because of my belief, but it happens. And so... I believe that that for the first time in their lives, these people in Ephesus are being confronted, persecuted, seeing what is going to happen because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And so Paul, very subtly, this chapter is very subtly, but this chapter is as much about love as the 13th chapter in 1 Corinthians. It is all about the one word that is used three different times here, exhorted, encouraged, loved. And Paul is is encouraging the believers because he's going to leave that they are okay, that God is going to care for them. Now, with that kind of a background, and that's a real kind of a long lead in, I'm sorry for that. Let me read to you from chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. I know I wrote up in there, this is totally my fault. I wrote verse 6, but I thought we'd go to verse 12 because it's kind of a narrative. And also, um, verses 7 through 12 are kind of, uh, it kind of gives you an insight to Paul, which we're going to read in a moment. I mean, I don't think he was short-winded at all. I think he had long messages. And he, and he was preaching his message till he prolonged his message. He started earlier, and he's preaching now. It's about midnight. And this poor young guy is sitting in this windowsill, and he falls asleep, like some of you do when I talk, you know. But thank God you're not up on top of the ceiling here, because this young guy fell down, and, and he died, killed himself. And watch. 
watch when we read it. Look, look at verse, let me just, let's just take a look. We'll bounce around a little bit. But Paul in verse 10 went down, it fell upon this young man called Eutychus who fell off this windowsill where he was sitting. Verse 10 says, Paul went down, fell on him, and after embracing him, Paul said, don't be troubled, his life is in him. What you're going to not see here is a big hoopla about Paul bringing this young boy back to life. I mean, if it was today, if it was in some of the churches today, and I'm, I must say to you, with all the sincerity that I can muster, if God were to give us that privilege, you can rest assured you will not see me on TV saying how I did it. It ain't going to happen. And Paul, in this subtle com- state of love, just simply said, don't be troubled. His life's in him. He's He's okay. And it says in verse 12, they took the boy away alive and they were greatly comforted. That word greatly comforted is the same word of exhorted, uh, encouraged. And that's what Paul wants to do here. And that's what I'd love to do for you and me. I'd love to encourage us as a body of believers. You guys have done amazing in three years. What you've done here in this church is amazing. And I am proud to be counted in your number. I really am. He <laughs> didn't think I was going to cry. But I just am proud to be a part of what you guys were all doing. And the reason I believe I have tears at all is that I, I sense that God is doing something with us. Starting things and Allowing us to see, you know, the excitement of, of having a dream and watching it just unfold right before your eye. I asked the lady's husband, what did you think about yesterday when you went home? He said, we couldn't sleep. We couldn't sleep. It was just too much. There's something really wonderful about seeing God move. Verse 1 of chapter 20. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul had sent for the disciples. And when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined and returned through Macedonia. Verse 4 says, And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Phyrus, and by Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Teachus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Excuse me, but us now. Luke has joined them again when you see us and we. Verse 6 And we sailed from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. And on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day. He prolonged his message until midnight, and there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. 
And there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on, as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Verse 10 says, But Paul went down, fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. This is, from commentaries that I've read, every single one of them, a statement upon the love and the concern that Paul has for the church. This chapter records the conclusion of his third missionary journey, but it it shows us the concern, the fatherly concern that Paul had for those that had come to Christ through his ministry. Father, may we um, have that same concern for one another. May we have a love of Christ that overflows us and, and just flows out from person to person. May people who come here regularly feel loved. May people who come here regularly feel uh, important and feel useful. And people who come here, Father, uh, once in a while, may they sense the love of Christ when they're here. And people who visit, may they sense something here that is hopefully unique a real love, a genuine love for one another, a genuine concern for one another. Paul teaches us, Father, this day, you do really through Paul, that this concern, this love, this encouragement, this exhortation can only come through a knowledge of who you are. There are not concerns that can fill each of us that come from the world. Those things you tell us are fleeting and they're like vapors that go away here today and then gone tomorrow. But what you say about your word is that it lasts forever. What you say about yourself is that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what Paul does is to to encourage people is what we try to do here at this church And that is to fill each of us with your word. That your word might do its work to encourage us, to make us feel worthy, to make us feel a part. And so may there be love here at this place of all the things that we might have here at the Rock Community Church. May there be love. And so, Father, for us to really sense that love, would you move me aside, please? Would you allow yourself to be seen by each of us and to to minister to our hearts as only you can, as you demonstrate and show your love to each of us individually. Open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Give us this, um, the rest of this morning, this next half hour, so that we might behold wonderful things from your most glorious law, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Paul wanted to get to Jerusalem before the Feast of Pentecost. He wanted to get there by, uh, by that time. But 
as he was going there, he took time to encourage, to exhort, the Bible says, every believer that he could. You see, all of the events reveal Paul's heart towards those he came in contact with. His love for the brethren that he led to Jesus Christ. His love for the churches that were planted and those that were going there. And mostly, his love for his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want to learn, if you and I would like to learn how to be a church that really knows how to encourage one another, this would be a great place to understand. Paul expresses here, in this particular chapter, the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, a fatherly concern for the believers and for the churches that he has been instrumental in being a part of watching them grow, watching them flourish, watching them take root. Paul, I think perhaps more than anyone else, apart from Jesus Christ, fulfilled what our Lord said in John chapter 15, verse 13. He said, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this. Do you know what it is? That you lay down your life for a friend. Greater love than this has no person. Then we lay down our lives for a friend. Now, we might not ever have to give of our physical life for anyone here. But we might have to give what we think is what we would rather have for the other person. I try not to, I try to, to say I don't have really a care for any color the church is or the music so much in the church or I'd like for it to be bright so that we can see our Bibles but the lighting of the church you know, I've asked them not to put that light on me because it just my bald head just glows I think <laughs> I'm guessing it does and my nose probably looks like it whoa but they said it's better so that we can see you know and so I, I don't give my opinion on certain things because the truth of the matter is, I'd like to lay down my life for this church. I'd like to lay down the things that I think are important so that all of us can have what is important. Um, I think that's what makes a church healthy. It's not always the, the things that, that we want when we see other people smiling and having a wonderful time. That should be sufficient. There'll be enough time that you and I will get our way and get what we want. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for a friend. To make a church all that it could be is we should have that type of attitude. It shouldn't always be all about us. It rather would be what can we do for the other person? How can we serve the Lord? Paul made that particular sacrifice and more over and over again for the people of Christ. He just did. Paul potentially risked his life over and over and over again to serve the church, the church that, that his 
Lord and Savior redeemed by His blood when He went to the cross. I want you to look with me, please. It's, we're going to see enough verses to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Would you please turn with me there? I've read this place to you before, but I want to take a little bit of time to read it fairly slowly because it describes... Now, here's what I want you to listen to. Some, not all, some of the troubles that Paul endured for the life of the church, for the life of believers. He risked his life for you and for me. Yeah, I believe with all of my heart, Paul didn't know how far-reaching his ministry and impact would be as he wrote Scripture and as he lived out his life. But every single one of us here in this room have been impacted to one degree or another by Paul. He is helped you and me to know more about our Savior if in fact He has not been the one through His Word that has led you to a walking relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins by saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and this is a place that is as close to bragging as you'll ever hear, Paul. It's really quite a statement. He is comparing himself to other disciples, other apostles. He says, are are they servants of Christ? And then he says, I speak as as if I'm insane. I more so. That's... That is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is really saying, you know, if they say that they're apostles, if they say they're servants of Christ, he says, I I know I'm crazy here, but I'm more than them. And so he says in verse 23 in the middle, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. He says, I've been beaten times without numbers. Often, he says, I've been in danger of death. Verse 24, five times, he said, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You know, traditionally, they only gave 39 lashes because traditionally they thought anything more than that, anything over 40 lashes would kill a person. I mean, I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, you know, what if Paul is older? What if Paul was weak from a cold? What if, what if he's suffering something? Maybe 20 lashes would be enough to kill him. Five times. They beat him with lashes to the point of death. 39 lashes. Five times. Verse 25, three times he says, I was beaten with rods. Once he said, I was stoned. Three times he says, I was shipwrecked. A day and a night he said, I spent in the deep. Verse 26 says, I have been on frequent journeys. Then he mentions where the dangers came from. He said, dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. In other words, every place that he could possibly be, he was in danger. He says in verse 27, I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights. He says, I have been hunger and in thirst. Often, he says, I've been without food in cold and exposure. Verse 28 to me is, uh, in my opinion, verse 28 is the one I think that troubled him the most. He says, apart from such external things, these things like being beaten, 
these things like being uh, shipwrecked, this physical suffering that I've endured, apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Boy, do I understand that. I, I really understand that statement. I don't know how many of you go to bed each night and and pray for this church. I'm, I'm sure many of you do. You must. We are so successful. But I can tell you that Pastor Wes, Pastor Bill, Pastor Mike, I can't see everybody else that might be in here, Rob, those that are, are involved with what's going on here, I can't really speak for all of them. I can only say for myself, I don't go, in, I don't go to sleep at night hardly. I can think of that. I don't think about you guys and pray for this church and ask God to watch over it, protect us. That concern for the church is a daily pressure on those of us that really want to see you grow in your faith. It, it's, it's just part of the joy of ministry, to be honest with you. It's part of what we do. And so I believe that Paul's deepest concern was his concern for the churches, uh, the daily pressures, his, his, uh, the, those that might come in as false, uh, false teachers. He calls them later on in this chapter, savage wolves who will come in, he says, after I've departed, after I've gone to Jerusalem, there are going to be some savage wolves that are going to come in and try to take you away from this faith that I've taught you. He said there are going to be those that come, as it says in, in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, the fourth verse. You don't need to turn there. He said concerning the church at Ephesus, by the way, for those men that you can on Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock, please come here. We have a breakfast. We really have a good time. It's hard. It's not. We don't fix the tables up like the ladies do or anything like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's really a great time. And we've been studying through the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the second and third chapters. We've already looked at the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, this, Jesus Christ says, I I just have against you. You've lost your, what? Your first love. So these were the concerns that Paul had for these people. He, He didn't want them to lose their first love. He didn't want some savage wolves to come in and try to take them away from what they've been taught. And he knew that that might take, not might, that will take place. And so he had this concern for the churches. And rightfully so. Look back at chapter 20, verse 1. It says, very subtly, it says, after the uproar had ceased, that meant the riot that we talked about through the, the guy Demetrius that, that started in, in Ephesus back in the 19th chapter. After this uproar had ceased, Paul, it says in that verse 1 and 2, sent for the disciples that he had been teaching in Ephesus. And he began to, it says, well, after the uproar, look at verse 1, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and others encouraged them, he took his leave. He went to Macedonia. When he got through those districts, he gave much exhortation to those before he went to Greece. Now, I said to you already, I imagine they needed this encouragement because they saw this 
uproar take place in the city streets trying to capture Paul and tear him from limb from limb. And I believe that this is the first time these people had ever seen anyone persecuted to to that degree, at least, for their faith. Did nothing wrong. That's what the, the, the town clerk said. Look, what are we doing here? These guys haven't done anything wrong. They've not done anything against our goddess. They haven't done anything that blaspheme our gods. They have done nothing wrong. And so these people are wondering what in the world's going on. And one of the key words in describing the ministry of Paul is in verses 1 and 2, and also the reason why I read to verse 12. It is the word exhorted or exhortation. It means to encourage. It really means, bottom line, to love. To love in deed and in word, in action, in everything that Paul was. It is the same Greek word, by the way, exhortation, that Jesus Christ used saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He calls it the paracletus, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-S-I-S. It means literally someone who is called alongside of, someone who is there to encourage or to help or to correct. You see, Paul wanted to get them established in what they believed concerning the Word of God so that they would be encouraged when anything difficult came their way. Same thing we want to do with you. So that you, when, when, when troubles come our way, and troubles will come, that we will be knocked, not knocked off of our faith. That we will stand strong in what we believe in spite of what might be swirling around us. And so, this encouragement is a major theme here in this book of Acts. We've seen it through Barnabas. Barnabas is, uh, that's his name, son of encouragement. That's what his name means. But we also see it through Paul. But we also see it through all of the other disciples. If you look closely, you can see how they encourage someone Now, the word uproar in verse 1 in the Greek is where we get the word turbulence. It is T-H-O-R-U-B-O-U-B-O-S, not you, B-O-S. It's a a fitting word for what took place there in the city streets of Ephesus. The word describes an uncontrollable, hysterical mob. And so... What Paul is confronting there is this uncontrollable, hysterical mob that wants to get their hands on him to kill him. And that's why the disciples, as we read two weeks ago, would not let him go into the city square. They knew that if he went in there, they were going to try to tear him apart limb to limb. And when the church, those that saw this for the very first time, They got scared. Look, at this is such a traumatic event that most of us would have been content to get out of there as fast as we could to escape for our lives. But Paul's concern was not for his personal safety. Never has been, never was. 
His concern was for the church's security spiritually. Wanted to make sure that you and you and you and me, that we were secure in what we believed so that when these troubles come our way, we won't fold up like a pump tent. But we will stand strong for what we believe. And so Paul would not leave Ephesus until, as it says in verse 1, he sent for his disciples to exhort, to encourage, to love on them. You see, he was well aware of the serious dangers. We're going to do this next week. Take a look. Same chapter, chapter 20. Look at verses 29 through 31. This is what we'll see next week if we get there next week. Paul was well aware of the dangers that were going to confront the church. Listen to what he says. Verse 29. He says, I know. I know. He says, I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Verse 30 says, And from your own selves, from your own selves, some men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them instead of after Christ. Therefore, he says, in verse 31, Be on the alert. Remember, he says, Remember, remember that that night and day, for a period of three years, I didn't cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Remember this. Remember what you have been taught. See, Paul knew that the cure for them was the proper instruction of the Word of God through exhortation. In other words, through encouragement, through love. Love. It's the greatest to love one another. And so verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 are simply a group of men that traveled with Paul. More than likely men that Paul led to Christ. But, thank goodness for commentaries, I learned that they are also men who represented the churches in the different areas that Paul went to. Like in Galatia, that was Gaius and Timothy. They were from the church in Galatia. I didn't know that. Tychicus and Trophimus, they were from the church that Paul helped plant in Asia. I didn't know that. Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, they came from the church in Macedonia. Didn't know that. And so all of these churches were there so Paul could encourage them to go back and encourage your people because when I depart from this area, savage wolves are going to come in and try to, to distort what we have been teaching you don't allow that to happen and paul almost everywhere he went was facing persecution as we see in verse three of this chapter look at verse three it says he he went there and he spent three months and then there was a plot formed against him by the jews that happened to paul over and over and over again so much so look at verse 25 we'll see next time in verse 25, Paul says, Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, are, you're not going to see my face anymore. In other words, my time's running down. I'm, you won't see me again. I, I know. I, I don't know. I just know that that, just, that destroyed Paul. It just... <laughs> I mean, come on. When I think I couldn't see you next week, I couldn't see your face. That would break my heart. 
it would break my heart not to be here with you people. Some of you, Dave, some of you become so important to me, it's hard to put into words. Neil, I've grown to love you, man. So unfortunately, Paul's commitment to proclaim the truth of God's word is not in vogue today. That's what really starts me to cry. It's not in vogue today to go to churches and find the preaching that encourages and teaches and exhorts us through the Word of God. It's, it's, other, it's, it's bells and whistles. It's, 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 it's stuff to draw a crowd. I know this to be true, not because I go to other churches, because I don't. This is my church. This is where I'm at. I know what we do here. We do what we've been ordered to, to do, and that is to teach the Word of God. But I, I know from people that leave and go to other places, they call me all the time, or they'll call the office. Do you know of a church in this area? I have friends that came here last week from Alabama. They cannot find a church. That's supposed to be the, what, the Bible Belt, isn't it? They can't find a church that teaches the Word of God. Their pastor right now is more concerned about drawing crowds. In fact, they're building a building that's bigger, you don't need to know this. This is really a rabbit trail. But let me just say that now briefly say it. The guy is more concerned about making this building so that he can have a bigger building than the other pastor. How foolish. How asinine. And they said, when they came in here and they saw in the foyer people hugging me, they said, you know how many people that our pastors hugged in the last year? I said, no. This many, you know why? They say he's, he hides out. You, you can't find him. I said, well, how can he get to know his people? They didn't, he didn't want him. Nobody hugs him. And by the grace of God, I, I bet 15 kids came and hugged me that morning. It was the greatest thing. And they said, man, we want him. They're doing really well. And in four years, they're hoping to sell their business that they're just doing well in. In fact, they're going to make this. They're going to tithe to us on a regular basis, even though they live in Alabama. And in four years after they sell their business, what they said to me they're going to do is probably move back here so they can come and have church with you and me in this place. Because they can't find it there. It's not vogue today to teach the Word of God. And I, I could do a whole lesson on this because I read in the commentary, one of the commentaries who I probably admire the most, apart from Paul, part from uh, that I just admire so much said you know why because most pastors are just flat lazy I, I don't want to say that but I'll say it because he said it it's not easy to get in the put this big nose of mine in the Bible every week and try to find something new I'm not smart God's got to do it and sometimes it's it's with like sweat and tears trying to find it what is what I, what's the Lord saying to us here? Teach me, Father, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Today, the Word of God no longer holds the central place that it once held in the early church. And I believe Paul would weep if he came back. Bear with me just for a moment. There's a bunch of verses up there in the book of Acts. We're going to close. You can, you can close your... No, don't close your Bibles, but just open up now to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to jump from one from chapter 10 to chapter 13 to 14. Bear with me. Bear with me, please. I want you to see just a few places. By the way, these are not all of the places. I just kind of narrowed it down to a kind of 
wonderful few. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 is my favorite. I'll say that up to the top because here's why it's my favorite. It, I like, I liked it. I like playing, when I was playing sports, I like playing sports for a guy that told me exactly what he expected of me so that I knew exactly what I was to do. I knew the rules. I knew the regulations. I could fall under them. I hated it when it was vague. I love the fact that our Lord says, these are your orders. Do them. Okay. That makes church more enjoyable to me because you can't miss. And look what it says in verse 42. The apostle says, he ordered us. This is what the Lord ordered us. If any pastor that is listening to this and doesn't teach the word of God by having their people have their Bibles, do you realize that you're breaking orders from the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Does that not make you shudder? Does that not make you scared to death? Stick your nose in the Bible. Learn it. Tell it to your people. He has ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testimony testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God, talking about Jesus as judge of the living and the dead. Look at chapter 13. Look at verse 5. In chapter 13, verse 5. It says, when they reached Salamis, they began to do what they were ordered to do. They began to proclaim the word of God. We'll look at verse 32 in that same chapter. It says, and we preached to you the good news, the promise that was made to our fathers. Look at Acts chapter 14 and look at verse 7. They continued to do what? Well, they continued to do what they were ordered to do, to preach the gospel Let's not look at all of them. Look at chapter 15 and verse 35 here. You can look at the other ones if you want to write them down later. Look at chapter 15 and verse 35. It says, But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. And what did they do when they were there? They taught and they preached with many others the word of the Lord. That's what we've been ordered to do. Jump to Acts, the end of the book of Acts, the 28th chapter, the last verse. This is what Paul says last. This is what he wants to make the most uh, lasting impression upon us. And he says in verse chapter 28, verse 31, Preach the kingdom of God and teach concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Listen, we don't have any option, folks. We don't have an option in the church. Our job is to preach and to teach the Word of God so that it might penetrate your and my heart, so that it would encourage us to carry us through the difficulties and the wonderful times that lie before us. When Timothy was charged by Paul, Paul said to Timothy, as clear a teaching, a clear uh, an order as anyone could ever have that preaches the Word of God, he says, give attention Timothy to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and to teach 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 the word of God Timothy that's what's going to exhort your people that's what's going to encourage your people that was what well, your people will know you love them when you teach the word of God because my words my thoughts my philosophy the world's philosophy is going to come and going to go but the word of God it will last forever it will carry you through. It will be the one thing that will not leave you dry. Father God, amen. Amen and amen. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
I love you folks so much. Have a good day.